0: Welcome to this episode of the First Take Podcast with me, Simon King. On this week's show, Virginia Lee discusses more promising clinical data in the field of NK cell therapy. We listen into an expert view on the future role of CAR-T therapy in solid tumours and highlight some of the key takeaways from the early innings of Q1 earnings season. This week, NCARTA reported their first clinical data from two CAR-NK cell therapies, NKX-101 for acute myeloid leukemia and NKX-019 for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Virginia, what's the significance of these phase one readouts?
1: So these data from Encarta this week adds to the early clinical evidence base for allogeneic NK cell therapies. This is a modality that's gotten a lot of attention from investors and from big pharma partners in recent years because it offers a couple advantages over CAR T therapies. So first of all, allogeneic NK cell therapies come with a reduced risk for graft versus host disease versus allogeneic CAR-Ts, which is a big help when it comes to logistics and manufacturing. And then unlike CAR-T therapies, NK cell therapies haven't really been associated with safety issues like cytokine release syndrome or neurotoxicity. So the hope is that this class of therapeutics could offer better safety and better convenience than T cell-based therapies available today. Um, that said, it's still early days for NK cell-based programs, so having good early clinical results provides some validation for the modality. And, and CARTA got a hugely positive reaction to their data because both CAR and K programs not only led to high overall response rates and complete response rates, they also showed no signs of CAR T-associated adverse events like cytokine release syndrome and neurotox. So this also comes back on the back of other clinical data from Affimet and from Fate Therapeutics, which have both reported positive early-stage clinical results from their respective NK cell therapies in blood cancers.
0: So what should we be watching for next out of the NK cell therapy space?
1: One open question that remains is how durable NK cell therapies will be. So relative to T cells, NK cells have shorter half-lives, and they have a lower proliferative capacity, so there's some concern about durability there. Um, Affamed's latest readout suggested positive survival benefits at a median of 11 months after treatment, which is a step in the right direction, but we'll be watching for additional long-term data to come out of all three companies over the next few years. And then in the meantime, there are several preclinical NK cell therapy programs continuing to move forward. We saw several updates on these programs at AACR from companies including Catamaran, Editas and Shoreline. So there will be plenty to watch there as well.
0: As promising early stage data for NK cell therapies continues to accumulate, other developers are looking to move CAR-T therapies from hematological cancers to solid tumors. As part of our latest KOL Views live event this week, First Words Michael Flanagan asked the University of Pennsylvania's Shiyansin Sin Hauer how long he thinks this is likely to take. Now I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball. Roughly how many years away from an approved product would you just guess that we are in the solid tumor CAR-T space?
2: I think it's a very likely within two to five years we're going to see uh, a first crack. Is a a type of solid tumor, and maybe uh, not. necessarily is the most common one. Could uh, come into being. So could uh, show okay efficacy, reasonable efficacy. And uh, uh, you, many of you uh, know. I mean, the audience. I I don't know exactly the background. Uh, if not in the field. Uh, uh, but on the car field, you uh, would know the 1st uh, uh card approved for leukemia, CD19, camera, which is developed at Penn. Uh, so uh, after that uh, develop, uh, de- uh, develop so quickly people think it's going to, okay, Fastly, you're going to get that. So uh, in fact, uh, now it's, uh, I think, 12 or the first results coming, it's about a uh, eight years something, but uh, FDA uh, already approved, I think uh, uh, like three or four years ago. Uh, so based on that knowledge, I think it's not over uh, optimistic to uh, to think two to five years would be good. And uh, one example I alluded to, like clotting 18.2. So phase one, I think about three patients that have a promising uh, response rate and uh, uh, that if uh, going well, it could be I, in my view, could be a really a promising uh, e- example. Uh, and uh, some other like a PMSA, so a need a trial, the clinical trial is uh, time consuming. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, when the first one get uh, approved uh, for solid tumor, there will be a whole lot more uh, enthusiasm to pursue additional. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, there are over 200 type of cancers, and uh, each one would need a, uh, investment, uh, need a, uh, in research, in development, and more people work on that. I think just quicker, okay, accelerating the field. So I'm uh, very uh, hopeful and optimistic about the development of this.
1: A handful of large cap companies have reported their first quarter financial results in the past few days. Simon, are we seeing any noteworthy top line trends?
0: So I think the one that stands out is probably a growing sense of uncertainty around future revenues uh, that certain companies can expect to generate on the back of COVID-19 as the pandemic uh, starts to subside. Last week, Johnson & Johnson cut its guidance for the full year because it significantly reduced its revenue forecast for its COVID-19 vaccine. And whilst Roche reported strong sales for its diagnostic division on Monday, which were driven by by COVID-19 diagnostics and testing, it also cautioned that this tailwind will likely decline over the course of the year. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what players with significant exposure to the COVID-19 market, such as Pfizer, um, have to say about their full-year outlooks when they uh, report their first-quarter financial results over the next couple of weeks. On the flip side, you know some pharma companies are hopeful that the performance of growth-driver brands um, will now accelerate further over coming quarters as sort of pandemic-related restrictions are are further curtailed. You know it was interesting that Roche and Novartis both spoke this week about continued uptake. Uh, for their flagship multiple sclerosis brands, albeit in um, in a market, in the, in the broader MS market, which they say is still glow, uh, growing at a slower rate than it was before the pandemic started. The other COVID angle that investors are keen to get some clarity on is the potential impact of current lockdowns in China as well. Um, what impact that's going to have on growth in that market. But the feedback we've heard from a few companies to date suggests that this doesn't seem like it's going to be a material impact on growth.
1: And I'm guessing management teams are being asked about M&A a a lot, particularly as investors were hopeful of activity coming into 2022 and with the current bear market bringing the price of biotech companies down.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, bear market or not, the M&A question is one that's not far from the lips of analysts on these earnings calls. I think probably the most interesting perspective I've heard to date is from Roche's CEO, who does agree that biotech valuations have corrected, but from very high to still high levels, meaning that in his words, the company will remain very selective um, in terms of potential acquisitions. I think one caveat there is that, you know, of, of all those big pharma companies, Roche isn't likely to be at the front of any queue of those that are sort of lining up Um, you know, seeking out larger acquisitions. It's just not the way that the company typically operates. But we did hear a similar message from the CEO of Novartis, who said that their focus is going to remain on smaller acquisitions. And he actually put, uh, I think he put a a bar of about $2 billion, which is, you know, extremely small for a company of Novartis's size. To be honest, I'm not sure that everyone's, you know, quite buying into that at the moment. um, It would make sense that the company will be holding some cards pretty close to its chest. And that's really being driven by the fact that over the past few weeks, Novartis has announced some pretty major restructuring, both designed to increase efficiencies across the business, but also some analysts are sort of suggesting to laser focus its growth strategy, which could include acquisitions. The other really interesting announcement from Novartis on Tuesday was that Ronnie Gow, who is a prominent Wall Street analyst currently working at Bernstein, is going to be taking up uh, the newly created role of chief strategy and growth officer at Novartis um, no later from August this year. Um, Ronnie Gow has been particularly vocal over the past few years about drug pricing in the U.S., and the potential for big pharma companies to grasp that as an opportunity to drive change. So it's going to be particularly interesting to see if those views remain prominent when he's in that new role or not.
1: And finally, what are we looking out for over the next few days as more companies report their Q1 results?
0: Yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting to see if those initial takeaways about the uncertainty of of COVID revenues um, and whether pharma companies are still sort of lukewarm towards M&A are then, you know, reinforced as more companies report. I mean, one thing that I, I should mention is that although big pharma companies, as far as we can tell, still appear to perceive acquisition target valuations as being high, what they are saying is that because early stage investment is now suddenly harder to come by and the IPO route to the public market is more challenging for small emerging companies versus the last few years, it does sound like biotechs are much more eager to partner with large companies. So, we could see, I would think, a potential acceleration in deal-making, and that could potentially come at the expense of, of m If I'm thinking about specific companies over the next week or so, um, Pfizer, you know, remains high on the watch list because it's ticking. Both of those COVID and potential M&A boxes, AstraZeneca, because they have a much larger presence there, you know, should hopefully be able to provide a bit more clarity on the situation in China. And obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what Biogen says next week. You know, where does the company go next? With Aduhelm looking pretty much dead in the water in the U.S. market, and um, last week with it being confirmed that the European regulatory application that was in place has been pulled because the data for the drug just isn't perceived um, as being compelling enough by the European regulator.